0: Oh, so you like listening to podcasts, huh? Well, so do a lot of people. As a matter of fact, millions of listeners are tuning into podcasts every week, and your next customer could be one of them. Did you know that podcast advertising is one of the most effective ways to advertise your product or service? And it's really easy to get started. Just go to podbean.com slash brands. That's podbea dot com slash brands to start boosting your business with podcast advertising today.
1: So, What the, commissioner,
0: the Commissioner's argument was in the High Court and also in the Federal Court was that you might have disclaimed your entitlement under trust law, meaning, hey, trustee, I don't need that money. You can keep it. But if you go to the tax legislation, it fixes who's going to pay tax as at 30 June in the particular income year. What Section 97 says is where a beneficiary is presently entitled to a share of income of the trust estate, then the assessable income of that beneficiary will include so much of the, the share of the net income of the trust estate. So in other words, if the beneficiary was presently entitled as at 30 June 2014, in this example, then it doesn't matter whether or not they disclaimed their interest later on. It doesn't matter if it was on 1 July 2014 or some other date. So long as they were presently entitled just before the stroke of midnight on 30 June 2014, then section 97 says they have net income and they're taxed.
1: You're listening to Australia's Podcast for Accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 361 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. So far, you could disclaim your entitlement to trust income as long as you did it within a reasonable time. So even six months after a year end. That is what the full federal court had anonymously 3 to 0 ruled in 2020. So the full federal court three to zero in 2020. And so you could disclaim trust income even after year end. But this has now changed following the High Court ruling this year in 2022 in the Carter case. In the Carter case, you have Mr. AC, and I assume that C probably stands for Carter. So, Mr. AC is the director of the corporate trustee of the Whitby Trust. And the Whitby Trust has four primary beneficiaries Christina, Alicia, Nicole, and Natalie, which I assume are probably Mr. AC's daughters or wife and daughters. And now, something seriously wrong happens to the distribution from this trust which will change the landscape for the disclaimer of trust distributions forever. Here's Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Melbourne with the details.
0: So we've been talking a lot about taxation of trusts recently, but that focus has been on Section 100A and Guardian's case and uh, things related to that. There's another shakeup in the world of taxation of trusts that's recently happened as well, although it isn't as widespread in its implications as the 100A matters are. So what we're talking about today is disclaimers. So what a disclaimer is, is trustee of a trust may uh, decide to make a beneficiary presently entitled to an amount of income. And that beneficiary may, for one reason or another, choose to uh, reject that gift. The legal word is disclaim. And the issue and the case of Carter is all about whether or not that disclaimer is effective for tax purposes. There's also some other lessons to draw from, from the case as well as it wound its way from the federal court to the full federal court to the high court. It's another one of these multi-pronged multi uh, cases.
1: So the Carter case is about beneficiaries receiving a trust distribution and rejecting this trust distribution, correct?
0: Correct. Correct. So I'll start by just running through the facts of this case. And this case, I should add as well, this case turns on its head the accepted thinking until now on the tax treatment of those situations. So what happened in this case? Well, the facts are pretty, pretty simple. We have a discretionary trust, which is called the Whitby Trust. And the commissioner issued a series of assessments to the default beneficiaries of this trust for the income year ended 30 June 2014. The commissioner came along and said, well, I think this trust has an additional amount of income and the trustee has not resolved to distribute it to anyone. Therefore, the persons named in the deed as the default uh, beneficiaries are the people that need to pay tax on that income of the trust. So the taxpayers argued two things. Firstly, they argued that the income had been validly appointed to another trust in the Taxpayers' group. And alternatively, that even if no distribution was made, well, these primary default beneficiaries had disclaimed their entitlement via a uh, series of disclaimer documents that were entered into some years after 30 June 2014. It's also worth noting as a bit of a side note that these issues did arise also for the 2011 to 2013 income years. While those years were not subject to the case, the beneficiaries did enter into a series of disclaimers for those years as well, which the Commissioner accepted as being valid and being effective for tax purposes.
1: Question? Why didn't they change the deed and remove the uh, default beneficiaries? Because a trustee doesn't have to have a default beneficiary. It can, but it doesn't have to. So if they don't want this default beneficiary to receive any distributions, why didn't they change the deed? And also, why didn't they make sure that the uh, distribution to this other trust was watertight? That was my first question. And the second question is, did this other trust that is meant to have received those distributions, did this other trust then pay tax on those distributions?
0: Good questions. As for the last question about the tax issue, I I don't know the answer to that. As for the the first questions, which are about why wasn't things planned better, those are absolutely valid. All of these things uh, were due to, The issue coming to light several years later, once the commission had raised an assessment and there was an issue. So it was obviously too late by then to really do anything other than, well, these purported disclaimers.
1: So is it possible that there's also a chance that this distribution to the other trust kind of was backdated happened later and was backdated was only really dug out of the um, drawer when it came to light that the income hadn't been distributed
0: It may well have been I don't I don't know I can't say that for certain but what I can say is that the deed was not interpreted properly on what the requirements were to make an income distribution. So this deed was a little bit unusual, and what it required was that the income distributions required the consent of the guardian, and that was under the terms of the trust deed. So in order for the trustee to appoint income validly, it needed to get the consent of the guardian. And unfortunately, there was no evidence from the taxpayer of any such consent being provided at the required time being before on or before 30 June. There was some uncertainty on who the guardian actually was. The trustee named two people as guardians, but it looks like the taxpayer had been administering the trust on the basis that there was only one guardian. And uh, to cut a long story short, the trust, the court said that, well, the trust deed says that there are two guardians and this power requires the consent of those people. So purporting to exercise that power without the consent is void. And therefore, that purported distribution is invalid.
1: I'm surprised this went. All the way to the high court, because to me, it sounds like a very clear cut situation. The deed requires the consent of the guardian. It's not clear who the guardian is, and at least the guardian didn't give their consent. Hence, any trust distribution was not valid. Hence, all income is distributed to the default beneficiary. To me, it sounds very clear cut. Where is the angle for the defense to dispute this and to manage to get it through all the courts up to the high court.
0: It's a good comment. To answer that question, that particular issue did not go all the way to the high court. That, that issue only went to the full federal court.
1: Because it is so clear cut. Because it was
0: reasonably clear cut. There was some complexity around whether or not if someone's named as a guardian but had no knowledge of ever uh, being named and had no knowledge that, that, that they had assumed that office, can you really say that their consent is required? There was some there were some arguments around that, but yes, it's it's a simpler issue that, well, if the trustee says you need to do X and you didn't do it, is the distribution valid? And keep in mind also that the per, that the controllers of the trustee were the same people as the guardian. So I imagine the taxpayer was also making some arguments that, well, you know, it's implied that it's consented to, same people controlling everything. So keep that in mind as well. But moral of that story is that firstly, read the deed and also follow the deed. It's, it's quite rare that income distribution powers will require uh, that type of process. But what I have seen is processes where there needs to be a notification, perhaps 14 days before the end of the income year, or the guardian needs to be notified in advance that this is what's proposed, things like that, and then turning to other situations capital distributions, uh, deeds of variation, deeds of vesting. There's lots of other situations where there there is a clear requirement to do a certain procedure, and if it's not followed, then there's a good chance that what's going to be done may not be uh, valid.
1: So to clarify who is who in this, so there is somebody, let's call him Bob, and he is named as a guardian. He's also the um, controller in terms of that he does and everything. Is he also the individual trustee?
0: No, no. T- t- let's let's say there's a corporate trustee.
1: Okay. Is he the director of the corporate trustee? Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Let's say that the director as well.
1: And then is he also the default beneficiary?
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. Good. In that case, I find he has an argument that it's implied. That,
0: yeah, so that's the issue that well went some way up the chain, but they are different roles. And if the deed says you need to have this person's consent in writing and you don't have it and you can't provide evidence of it when it's challenged by the commissioner, then you can't satisfy the burden of proof that effective distribution or effect- effective conferment of um, present entitlement. Occurred.
1: Mm-hmm. Andrew, you know what I think? I think if the um other trust had properly paid tax on this income, I don't think it would have been an issue because in the end it doesn't you know it doesn't matter so much who pays the tax as long as the ATO gets their tax on the income. My gut feeling is that the trust didn't declare that income, didn't pay tax on it, and is now out of the amendment period. The commissioner couldn't, didn't have any grounds for fraud and evasion, hence he couldn't break out of the amendment period that has passed. So there was probably a big chunk of income that hadn't been taxed and hence the ATO tries to put it onto the default beneficiary and the default beneficiary tries to move it back into the trust because he knows that back in the trust it won't be subject to tax thanks to the amendment period. Can you imagine that's that's what happened?
0: Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I think if if this has all been reported, taxes paid by someone, the chances of this going um, through multiple courts is pretty low, I'd say. So I think you're definitely dealing with those type of arguments that the commissioner was now out of time. So that wasn't the main issue and that wasn't the contentious issue. My comments on that are more just a bit of a reminder, I guess, uh, and a confirmation that, well... If you don't follow the deed, then your purported action is invalid, meaning that if you try to distribute income to someone, it won't work. The main issue in contention and the one that went to the high court was, okay, well, let's, let's say that the distribution to that other trust is not valid. So therefore, there's some income of the trust estate that the trustee did not um, validly appoint to any beneficiary as at 30 June 2014. Now the deed had an appropriate default distribution clause which says something along the lines of, if just before the end of the income year, there is an amount of income that the trustee has not appointed to anyone else, then the following persons are entitled to a share of that income. It's worthwhile noting some of those clauses actually are not effective as well because some deeds refer to they say if at the end of the income year rather than if just before the end of the income year so this one was was okay because it said that well look if you you know a few seconds before midnight nothing's been done then here's how it's going uh, here's how it's going to be sliced up
1: The taxpayer so far hit a wall three times. First of all, the uh, original distribution of income to the trust was not valid since the guardian didn't consent. That's that's probably the only wall he hit so far, isn't it? I can imagine now you're going to the question of whether he can disclaim it because the income is now clearly coming his way. And so the question is whether he can disclaim it.
0: Yeah, so... From the taxpayer's perspective, their argument was that they had, uh, those particular specified beneficiaries had disclaimed their entitlement to trust income, and they had done that within an acceptable period of time. And as a result of doing that disclaimer, they should be taken for tax purposes as never being entitled to that amount of income and therefore never being subject to tax on that amount of income. And this is not a new proposition. This comes out of a case called the Commissioner of Taxation and Ramsden from 2005, which is a full federal court case, and an ATO interpretive decision, ATO ID, 2010-85, 2010-85, which essentially asks whether or not if a beneficiary disclaims their entitlement to trust income, will they be taxed on that present entitlement, regardless of the disclaimer?
1: I can imagine that this disclaimer of trust income by default beneficiaries poses a huge problem. Because if the default beneficiary disclaims their interest then the income goes back to the trust and where does it go instead? And then it really has nowhere to go. Then it goes to the trustee, I assume, and the trustee didn't and hasn't, hasn't lodged a tax return, so no amendment period started. Yeah, actually, was that ever an issue that the income could go to the trustee and the trustee most likely hasn't lodged a tax return and hence the amendment period was not an issue? So to answer that
0: question, if the disclaimer is effective from a tax law perspective, then we would go back to uh, most likely section 99A being a situation where there's no part of the net income of the trust estate is not assessed to someone else. It's assessed to the trustee, it's assessed marginal, sorry, at, at punitive rates There's a question whether or not the commissioner would be in time. There's also an issue that that the trust may not exist anymore or it might not have any assets anymore. So there might be recovery issues there against the trustee anyway.
1: I think this is a huge problem because if you can have the default beneficiary reject their interest, then I think it can become very easy to have income run into the void. You just have a kind of a confusing deed that leaves things open and then you have the default beneficiary or you don't even have a default beneficiary or you have the default beneficiary declining their interest and then yeah then you have 99a and if you have already stripped the uh, trust of its assets then 99a shoots into the void
0: yeah that's correct so there is this, and I'll touch on that in a second. This issue of well, how do we work out how to who's who needs to pay tax on this amount? It was thought until now that well, we can't have someone disclaim ten years afterwards. It needs to be within a reasonable time. So that ATO ID and that case of Ramsden that I referred to earlier, they're on the basis that the that the beneficiary disclaims the gift within a reasonable time of becoming aware of it essentially you can't you can't take it accept it and then decide later on nah no thanks it has to be done within a reasonable time it's not defined what that means but there is some acknowledgement of that 10 years later situation so that's the taxpayers argument taxpayers argument to recap although I was presently entitled as at 30 June. 2014 due to the default distribution clause. When I became aware of that, within a reasonable time, I uh, disclaimed that interest. Therefore, I was never presently entitled for tax purposes. Therefore, I should not be assessed. And, of course, the 99A follows.
1: I can understand it if the default beneficiary is somebody different to the director of the corporate trustee. But in this case, our friend Bob, who we are assuming here, our friend Bob did everything. He was the director of the uh, corporate trustee. He was the controller. He probably was also the grantor. You know, he did everything. How could he not be aware of the uh, being a default beneficiary? He probably organized the deed.
0: No, so I should add that there wasn't just one default district, uh, one default beneficiary. I believe there was four or five default beneficiaries listed in the deed. So it wasn't, not a simple case of, Joe is the direct sole director of the Trustee company and um sole guardian and sole specified beneficiary so there's a little bit more a little bit more to it than that it's the same issue.
1: Yes, but it's a, it's a it's a it's a good uh, point you raise when you have let's say five default beneficiaries the ATO has free choice who they assess the income to correct?
0: No, it still goes in proportion. Yeah, it still will go in proportion.
1: I see. So one default beneficiary is not, it's not like a partnership where every partner is liable for the full amount and the creditor can kind of choose who they go after. It's actually just a proportionate amount.
0: With their share of the uh, income of the trust estate.
1: Okay, good. So in this case, we had five default beneficiaries who were each meant to take 20% of the income.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that was the taxpayer's argument. The initial commissioner's arguments on the lower levels was more centred around this reasonable time, reasonable period of time concept, whether or not this was a reasonable, there was some delay in time and whether or not that was a reasonable period or not. I'm not going to go into that because the more interesting argument is the argument that the commissioner ran in the higher stages in the full federal court and in the high court. So, what the, commissioner, uh, the Commissioner's argument was in the High Court and also in the Federal Court was that, well, you might have disclaimed uh, your entitlement under trust law, meaning, hey, trustee, I don't need that money. You can keep it. But if you go to the tax legislation, it fixes who's going to pay tax as at, 30 June in the particular income year what section 97 says is a beneficiary is where a beneficiary is presently entitled to a share of income of the trust estate then the assessable income of that beneficiary will include so much of the the share of the net income of the trust estate so in other words if the beneficiary was presently entitled as at 30 June 2014 in this example, then it doesn't matter whether or not they disclaimed their interest later on. It doesn't matter if it was on 1 July 2014 or some other date. So long as they were presently entitled just before the stroke of midnight on 30 June 2014, then section 97 says they have net income and they're taxed. You can mount arguments that that's unfair as well because a beneficiary doesn't need to know. Uh, there's no requirement to, to tell a beneficiary as at 30 June, of a particular income year, that they're presently entitled. And there's also the issue about mis- mismatches and really big mismatches between income of the trust estate, which is the trust law concept, and net income of the trust estate, which is the tax law concept. And there can even be situations where your trust law entitlement is, let's say, a dollar and your Tax law bill is a million dollars, where there's really large differences between the two.
1: Welcome back. So how did the high court rule in the Carter case? Can you disclaim income after you have become presently entitled to it? Spoiler alert. The answer is no. The High Court ruled 5-0 to that for tax purposes, you can't disclaim income after the 30th of June, after you have become presently entitled. But the details about what this exactly means, let's cover those in the next episode, episode 362, and also discuss the new change legal framework for disclaimers of trust income now after the Carter case. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.
0: Are you the proprietor of a business selling shaving kits, meal packs, audiobooks or anything else of the sort? Have you failed to tap the market of people who love hearing their favorite comedians talk about their boring lives? What's wrong with you? 57% of US consumers listen to podcasts every month. That's a lot of ears that could be hearing about your brand. Go to podbean.com/brands to learn how it do. That's p
1: o d b e a n.com/brands and you could be the one talking instead of me.